Hi, I'm Andrew Gillis with Sepro Mineral Systems. You are listening to the first, and depending on how this goes, what may be the only uh, Sepro podcast that ever gets recorded. Today, I am talking with Professor Erin Wobicki from the University of Toronto. Uh, she's an assistant professor of material science, and in addition to that, she is collaborating on an R&D project with Sepro and a few other partners. So we decided to talk today uh, about Aaron's background, uh, about that current project, as well as some of the things that Aaron sees as exciting areas of future research. So if you enjoy this podcast, uh, we'll endeavor to produce more like it. And as always, feedback is welcome. Hope you enjoy. Thanks for talking to me today, Aaron. Uh, if you don't mind, I think we can try to start right from the start. If you don't mind uh, talking a little bit about um, where you grew up. Okay. Uh, well, I, I grew up in Kelowna, BC, not too, uh, not too far from from Sepro. Um, I was certainly not involved in the the mining or mineral processing industry at the time. I didn't really have a a clue about uh, you know anything of what's going on, or certainly engineering. I engineering was not on my my radar until I went to, to university and then discovered I was not super keen on science as it was. Um, but uh, ended up at at UBC, um, I guess roughly around the same time as you, and um, ended up uh, uh, switching into environmental engineering. It was a new program that was that was being offered and uh, I've always been a, a bit of an environmentalist. So it was a, it was an interesting fit and it was being offered jointly with UNBC and Prince George. So there was a bit of an adventure there, checking out some, some new territory in, in British Columbia. And uh, so that's really how I, how I got uh, involved in engineering in the first place. But um, as a young person, it was, it was not something that was, was on my radar at all. Okay. So what got you interested in engineering? Well, again, it was it was particularly this program in environmental engineering was was being offered, and it was a you know a mix of environmental science, but also had the engineering side. And when I was at uh, you know in first year residence at UBC and uh, making new friends and meeting people, and they were in engineering, and uh, I liked the applied side of it. I I like to solve problems and build things, so I thought it was a a good way to to use sort of uh, some of some of my passion for environmental issues to solve some of the the problems that were out there. Okay. Uh, so then what, uh, what happened after you graduated? Um, well, I mean, it, it sorry, definitely took a sort of a right hand turn. So when I was uh, an undergrad, I, I did a lot of co-op, but it was all in forestry um, and uh, geotechnic related. And uh, in my final year, um, I was uh, I received a call from Inco, and they were recruiting and looking for people from different disciplines. And they thought, based on the work that I had done in uh, geotechnics, that I, you know, it, it could be able to apply that to to tailings uh, research. And at the time, um, I mean, coming from Kelowna, I mean, I'd never been on a plane before I went to university. <laughs> um, you know, going to Toronto on a big trip for an interview was was pretty exciting. So that's how they were able to entice me to to go to that interview. Um, and, um, 
and ultimately, you know, it uh, it worked out. It was a, it was a really interesting two day process. They had a lot of senior people there, and they they convinced me that uh, you know I could make an impact um, working in the mining industry, um, and specifically on tailing. So they hired me uh, to work in their mineral processing group at their research center uh, in Mississauga. Okay. Uh, so what was the move after that for you? Um, well, I I mean, so my, when I when I first started there, actually, I was seconded to this battery powder pilot plant, so I didn't work on anything tailings or environmental related, but uh, certainly got the, the bug for piloting and starting new processes and uh, uh, troubleshooting. I was the only, um, I, was, I was the technical lead on site, right fresh out of school. Um, so that was, was pretty exciting. And after uh, eight months, once we finished commissioning, I went back to the mineral processing group and got to work on all different things that really um, are related to a lot of the research I do today. Um, I did a, quite a bit of ore sorting work, uh, stuff on ultramafics, um, a lot of tailings uh, work. A lot of this stuff has led to the, the current research projects we have now. And uh, after doing that for, for a number of years, um, Boise's Bay was looking for a, a metallurgist. And uh, I had begun to think that I needed some operations experience to um, make a little bit uh, uh, be able to make some more practical decisions, we'll say, in, in the research that I was doing, but also the recommendations that, that I was making at, uh, at the research center, because a big component of what we did actually was site support and troubleshooting as well. Um, so it was a good fit for me at the time, and I was recommended for the position, so I ended up at uh, Boise's Bay for, for a couple years as a mill metallurgist, and um, really enjoyed that as a, as a life experience. Um, lived in a, a coastal uh, Inuit community at the time, and uh, and also, you know, I was was running the mill, so it was uh, it was pretty exciting, and you know, the nickel price was high, and it was it was a good time. I'm good, but that didn't last so long. Uh, well, nickel price I, I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> when you're when you're when you're doing a really good job as a metallurgist and you have a nice ore body and a new mill, um, it's um, it it it's, it runs pretty easily, <laughs> you know. So. So, you know, after a few years, I began to think I'd like to get back into a technical role. And um, about at the same time um, that the steelworkers went on strike, um, the strike ended up lasting for two years. Um, but uh, during that time, I, you know, we started up uh, operating the mill um, with the management team, which was pretty exciting at first because as management, you don't get to touch anything. And then all of a sudden you're, you're, and you know, combination operator, the dewatering operator, and the flotation operator. Um, so getting a lot of hands-on experience, but then at the same time not able to do any of the the technical work that um, that you know that I really enjoyed. So I you know I wanted to do graduate studies from um, the time that I they finished my undergrad. It just didn't work out um, in terms of sort of what was going on in my life at the time. And um, so I started to talk to a few people about you know what uh, opportunities might be out there. Talk to a few. Uh, professors at different universities in Canada about the research that they were working on and what opportunities were available and um, ultimately I decided to go back to uh, university at uh, in, in Edmonton at the University of Alberta uh, to do to do my PhD in chemical engineering so uh, a, a bit of what a attracted, different path. What attracted you to the U of A particularly at the time? Um, well um, so, so the person that ended up being my PhD supervisor Zengi at Shu he was uh, friends with my boss at um, at uh, the, uh, the Inco's Research Center in Mississauga. So I had worked with him for a number of years 
on um, some different projects. I knew him well, um, but also the the facilities there were were excellent. Um, um, it was a, you know a large research group. There were a lot of different things going on, and um, it just seemed like a good fit all around. And they were um, um, Inco was a, or it was Valet Inco or Valet by, by that time. Um, had sponsored, uh, we're, we're starting to sponsor a project on Ultramafix, and so I spent a lot of time working on Ultramafix um, while I was at INCO and had dreamed up this this project with my former supervisor, Manchu, around storing carbon in uh, Ultramafix tailings. Um, and so it was a combination of just resources there, facilities, um, as well as uh, the, the project was, was interesting to me. Oh, okay. Now that was a fair bit of years in industry before you went and did your PhD, which I I think is a little bit unusual. Do you have any uh, comments around <laughs> pros and cons of um, one, you know, working for a bit before doing a PhD or having a having a gap like that between academic studies? I mean, it's it's definitely an unusual path, um, but I think it was really good for me um, because I had a lot of perspective on um, what industry, uh, particularly like mining operations, were interested in what their problems were, uh, what types of solutions could be uh, implemented versus those that could not. Um, I also had good experience managing research projects, so I knew how to plan um, and I knew, I knew how to execute. So I was able to do my work uh, quite quickly um, in comparison to the number of the other students. I mean, one of the cons is obviously, you know, going back to do a full-time PhD, quit your job, I mean, that's not a decision, you know, a decision you make without some financial hit. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, you don't go back to school to do your PhD, and it, you know, because it, you're, you're going to make the money back, right? It's, a, it's something that you do um, because you're interested uh, and that's, that's the path that you want to want to take. So it's, it can be hard for people as they get, um, you know, into their careers and they, they start families, but, but part of it, and I, I didn't mention this, but part of the decision to, to leave uh, working at a remote site is that uh, I wanted to have a family and that wasn't uh, going to work, um, working too on, too off at a fly-in, fly-out camp. Um, so it's, uh, it kind of came together for me and it was, it was a really good fit, but it, yeah, you're right, it's not, a, it's not a typical path that people take. Okay, so you, uh, you finished your PhD, then what happened? Well, I mean, I, I went back with the idea that I would go back into mineral processing research, potentially go back to Valet and work for Manchu. Um, but at the, so you weren't, the time, so at the time I, then you weren't planning on pursuing an academic path? No, no, I, I, I didn't go back and think, gee, I'm going to be a professor. That didn't really cross my mind until near the end of my PhD. Okay. Um, that, that I, you know, would like teaching and like doing research. I had this, this industry mindset the whole time. And uh, so even as I was finishing my PhD, looking at options, but companies are, I mean, Valet laid off a, a large number of people that were at their research center. Mining companies were closing their research centers. There were, were very few opportunities in, in, uh, in mining research at the time. And I did start to explore um, opportunities at uh, different institutions, had discussions with a number of different uh, universities, but also open things up more broadly to see uh, to see what else uh, was out there and um, ended up being recruited by Intel, um, which many people thought was an odd choice. And I was certainly 
um, had some reservations initially <laughs> when they were making the offers. So the Intel, the, the company that makes uh, semiconductors, um, because I did not see at the time how my skill set uh, fit into what they were trying to do. But um, one of the professors in the department, he's now the, the department chair, Ken Kadian, um, had a background in metallurgy, had worked at Intel, become a senior fellow before coming back to the university and convinced me that a lot of the same fundamental science that uh, is used in metallurgy and particularly in mineral processing around surface and interface science is absolutely applicable um, to semiconductors, although you're working on vastly different scales. Um, so I took, took that risk and uh, moved to the States uh, to their research center uh, near Portland, Oregon, and uh, worked on semiconductor development for, for a few years. And uh, it was really, uh, I mean, culture, from a, like a work culture perspective, it's a really interesting place um, at Intel, but also um, very uh, cutting edge research and development that was, that was going on. It was a very different approach that I'd experienced uh, before. So I really, I really enjoyed my time there. Um, but after a few years, you know, looking to come back to Canada, um, again, sort of poked my nose out to see, to see what was around. And uh, in speaking to some people, found out that... Uh, U of T was uh, looking for somebody in mineral processing and I had a, a few kids by that time and thought uh, maybe, uh, you know, taking a step back from the 24 seven workflow at Intel uh, might be a good plan. And uh, so they ultimately invited me for an interview and uh, ended up at, uh, at U of T where I am now. Okay, really interesting path, very unusual. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I don't take the straight and narrow. <laughs> <laughs> so at, at U of T, what are your current areas of research? Well, so I mean, everything is structured around mineral processing. And if you're not in mineral processing, that might seem like a very specific area. But when I start to describe the things that I do with the mineral processing, people are surprised at how, how broad it is. But um, Everything, you know, everything I do is, is still focused on this sort of environmental aspect. So um, how to reduce water and energy and processing, how, you know, how to reduce the waste, um, how to reprocess waste, um, basically all around, you know, improving the sustainability of, of operations. And so I can group, uh, sort of, you know, the different research projects into about four broad areas, but there's a ton of overlap. So, of course, you know, Andrew, we do quite a bit of microwave work, so that that's sort of one of the, the general themes. Um, I do a bit of quite, quite a bit of bio work, bioprocessing. Um, uh, do a lot of work on clays and clay minerals and how they they impact processing, and and also quite a bit of work on um, tailings and effluent and. Uh, and, and waste utilization. So there's kind of different uh, clusters of work going on there, but it, you know, spans everything from, you know, rock coming out of the ground and how do we break it to um, now we've generated tailings and, and, and what do we, what do we do with them and how do we, how do we better manage them? Okay. Well, since we uh, have the common interest of the microwave, you know, being involved in a project together along with, um, some other collaboration partners. Do you want to talk a little bit about uh, the microwave work? You know the principles behind it, some of the results, some of the potential you see in it. Sure, sure. So there's, um, I mean, certainly the the microwave project that we're uh, collaborating on on together. 
Um, and this is around scaling up uh, microwave-assisted uh, comminution and sorting. So, I mean, I first became interested in microwave treatment during my PhD. So even though it was focused on uh, carbon storage, being, you know, having this mineral processing mindset, I decided to look for pretreatments that could improve the carbon storage in the tailings, but also uh, improve, improve the processing. Um, and so one of the things that, you know, it's been well researched, but it uh, certainly came out in my PhD work too, is that you can really um, improve the grindability of different ores um, by, by uh, exposing them to microwaves. And, and the way that that works is that you have, uh, ores of course are composed of different uh, minerals and, and these different minerals have, have different properties, including uh, different uh, microwave uh, responsiveness. So we lump those together as, as permittivities. So fortunately for us, it tends to be the valuable minerals, um, the sulfides and some various types of oxides, iron oxides, uh, chrome oxide, manganese oxide, etc., that are very highly microwave responsive. So if you expose them to microwaves, they heat very, very quickly. Whereas things like um, silica, um, alumina, various other uh, quote-unquote gang minerals are, are largely microwave transparent. And so when you put, a, say, a piece of rock, in a, you know, if you expose it to, to microwaves, you get uh, you know this this intense heating response from those uh, valuable minerals um, in comparison to a non-heating response of the the gang minerals that surround it, and this results in a, a differential thermal expansion. So the valuable minerals will expand as they heat, and you know the the uh, microtransparent gang will stay the status quo, and so you get this stress and strain across the boundaries that results in fracture. And so this not only um, reduces the competency of the ore, so when you, you know, grind it under, a, you know, untreated ore versus microwave-treated ore under ideal conditions, you'll, you'll get greatly enhanced grindability because the competency is reduced, but also because you're cracking across the grain boundaries exactly where you want, um, you don't need to grind as fine. So this is really, really interesting for, for comminution. And then with this CanMicro project that we're working on together as well, because these valuable minerals are the ones that are responding to microwaves. We're using that to um, um, sort the ore. So basically rocks that contain valuable minerals will heat versus rocks that don't contain valuable minerals, they won't heat. And then we'll be able to sort uh, on that basis using using a thermal camera. Um, so it's, it's pretty interesting. It's, um, it's uh, the first time that people have tried to combine the two technologies, the microwave assisted combination and the sorting. And it's, uh, it's non-trivial. Um, typically, um, you'll get, uh, you know, you try to hit with a, when I say hit, expose or to high-powered microwaves um, um, for a short period of time at very high power for, for, for a fracture. Um, but for sorting, you know, historically, um, longer exposure times have been used, for example, and there's been more bulk heating. But for trying to combine the two, we have to identify the operational overlap. But we're able to get uh, the benefits uh, from both. So we can you know, uh, reduce our competency, increase uh, mineral liberation, as well as re reject waste and sorting. So that's, uh, that's pretty exciting. And there's lots of uh, benefits for, for downstream processing as well. So even you know, we can reduce the comminution energy if we can also uh, improve the separation and flotation or leaching or gravity separation, as well as reduce the amount of tailings and, and, um, that we're generating and the water that we use in processing. 
um, there's really a huge potential to improve the uh, overall sustainability of operations. So it's pretty right. exciting. Potentially, potentially remove fines, make tailings dewatering more easy, you know, perhaps enable dry stacking or, you know, quicker dropout in tailings ponds to improve tailings management a lot, ton of potential benefits. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So what do you, uh, maybe to close off, you can talk a little bit about what you see as potential areas of research that are either, um, you know, just starting to be pursued or, you know, areas that you think are a bit of an open path, but have a lot of potential right now for future research that either you may be interested in doing or you're looking forward to seeing other people take up. <laughs> okay. Um, well, certainly within the microwave space, uh, I mean, for Ken Micro, we selected this ex situ microwave assisted uh, combination and sorting treatment because we felt it was the, you know, the, the most sort of uh, developed process and 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 this project is around scale up. But I think um, future applications that are really exciting in, um, involve microwave treatment underground and at the face for selective cutting. Um, so that's something that, that I'm interested in and, and talking to partners about. And that's really, I think, for me, the next iteration of, uh, of microwave technology, at least on the comminution um, side. I mean, I think more generally, um, you know, trends in industry are, are you know, the interest in um, improving process efficiency and reducing water and energy and waste um, is going to continue. There's certainly um, an increasing focus on reducing tailings uh, production. So, you know, these these types of um, uh, research projects are, are going to continue. Micros definitely fit well um, within, uh, you know, touches on each of those areas. Um, but, you know, other than that, you know, looking at new ways to process low-grade and complex ores, um, particularly how to separate uh, colloidal and fine particles. You know, we've been relying on flotation for the separation of sulfides now for, you know, 120 years. And, um, you know, now with ore, you know, the texture getting finer and finer, um, you know, you we're losing valuables uh, in, in the slimes fraction because, uh, we just don't have a good way to separate them. So, um, you know, there's a couple different, couple different, you know, avenues that I'm that I'm looking at to separate fine particles. Looking at, you know, different bubble sizes, uh, different bio separation techniques. So I, I mentioned the bio stuff. I didn't um, didn't go into it in too much detail, but um, using bacteria to separate mineral particles is very exciting. Actually, so I mean, I, I do see bio as a big area um, of, of development in mineral processing. It's used, um, I don't want to say extensively in hydrometallurgy, but it's certainly been explored more in hydrometallurgy. Um, but, you know, has I think there's a ton of potential both in generating reagents, um, in, in separation, you know, developing new separation techniques, but also in managing tailings, because one of the big challenges we face now is around uh, tailings ponds and tailings dams and best practice for sulfide containing tailings is to store them underwater to prevent acid rock drainage and that's a you know it's a real problem if we if we you know are, are concerned about the stability of these dams and managing risks so figuring out how we can store sulfide tailings on the surface by dry stack as you say um uh, you know, the, a lot of that revolves around how do we shut off the bacteria that are catalyzing the, the acid rock drainage uh, 
generation. So that's a, you know, a big project that we're, we're getting into starting as well. So there's a, there's a ton of stuff going on and certainly looking for um, additional ways to do comminution. Um, how do we break bonds in a, in a more efficient way other than by smashing <laughs> either steel or with other rocks? Um, that's a, you know, a continued, continued area of research. There's, um, there's certainly a lot of interesting, it's, it's a, it's a really good, uh, industry, I think for young people to get involved in because there's so many, there's so many challenges and there's so many interesting things to work on. And, um, you know, a lot of the ways that we've done things for, uh, you know, the, the, the practices that are still used have been around for, you know, a hundred, if not hundreds of years. And so there's, I, I think personally, a lot of low hanging fruit in terms of uh, developing new technology. Yeah, for better or for worse, there's uh, no shortage of opportunity for innovation in the mining industry, that's for sure. That's right, yeah. Okay, well, I uh, really appreciate you taking the time today, Aaron. Uh, it's been a pleasure chatting. Uh, thanks for sharing so much about your background and, and your current work experience and, and what you see upcoming. All right, well, thanks, Andrew.